Hey everyone, it's Lee here. Um, so glad you can join us today um, as we talk about the difference Jesus makes, um, and specifically today, um, the difference Jesus makes to the topic of equality. Um, yeah, I really encourage you guys to keep talking about this with the people that you're um, watching church with, um, or if you're on your own, please um, feel free to get in contact with me about any questions or comments you might have. Well, what can we say about equality? Um, it's a big topic, and I think equality is something that is difficult to come by. Um, I think we'd all agree um, it's almost elusive. From a young age, we want things to be even, equal. You know, when my parents would give us, me and my two brothers, bowls of ice cream, um, we would make sure that we all got an even amount, roughly. Um, except if I got a bit more, then I might, you know, quickly eat a bit um, so it looks even or squash it down so it looks even. Um, I remember at school telling my teachers um, to stop marking the roll in alphabetical order because it meant that I was always dead last. Please flip it for me. You see, even in very small ways and from a young age, we want to be treated equally. It seems almost innate, inbuilt into us as humans. But why? What's our explanation for this, wanting to be treated equally? Why do we want equality? Why do we think it's important? Why would it be something that we we fight for for others? Maybe you're listening and unlike me, you have experienced more serious unequal treatment in your life. Maybe it's because of your race, your gender, a disability, or something else. Maybe this has been happening your whole life, and maybe you're still fighting. Or maybe you've given up. For many people in our world, equality is a despairingly difficult thing to come by. But why should we we fight for it? What's our reason? In Australia, we've, we've come a long way. Um, just over 50 years ago, we were stealing children from our indigenous neighbours. And women weren't allowed to drink in a public bar. But we've still got a long way to go. This year, in 2020, we've been woken up to the reality that systemic racism is still a real issue in our country and in others like the US. Inequality is everywhere. It's a global problem. Um, I was recently listening to a podcast about cyber sex trafficking in the Philippines and it it was difficult to listen to the stories. It was heartbreaking. It It made you feel sick to the stomach about how these young girls are treated, even today. But why is it wrong? And why is this something that we should fight for? What's our reasoning? Why should we care? We don't all start at the same level. Where you're born into what family you're born, your gender, your race, your genetics, and much more impact how you're perceived and treated and what sort of access you have to things like clean water, healthcare, education, job opportunities, justice, and so on. 
So what does the Bible have to say about all this? What unique perspective does it offer? What does Jesus think about the undeniable inequalities among humans? What reasons, if any, does Jesus give for fighting inequality? Well, today we're going to look at how God sees us, how God views the inequalities that exist between us. And then we're going to look at the difference that Jesus makes to inequality. So, what is God's view of inequality? When God sees us, does he see the differences that we do? Well, the Bible begins telling us that God made humans in his image. Genesis 1.27 says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. For God to say that all people are made in his image means everyone is equally and infinitely valued in his eyes. So in God's eyes, we don't need to get our worth from others and what they say or think about us. Our worth doesn't come from what we achieve or accumulate in our life. And we don't need to be like everyone else in order to have value. That we bear God's image is the reason that we have value, and it's the reason that inequality and injustice is wrong. Not just because we feel it's wrong or because society tells us it's wrong, because inevitably feelings and society change. Sam Chan says, If, as we've been told, a human is only atoms and molecules, if all we are is another species of animal, then any talk of equality is meaningless. The only way we can have a high view of each and every human being is if we also have a God who has a high view of us, a God who makes us in his image. And we see God and his desire to press upon his own people his high view of everyone. Leviticus 19 says, The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself. For you were foreigners in Egypt. In Isaiah 1, God says, Seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. And God's equal love for everyone is made obvious. It's made, it's confirmed beyond doubt in probably the most famous verse in the Bible today, John 3.16. For God so loved the world, that's everyone, that he gave his one and only son that whoever, anyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Everyone is equally loved by God. But the fact that Jesus died on the cross for everyone, it says something else about our equality. It says we all equally need Jesus' death 
whether you're rich or poor, male or female, Italian or Indian, refugee or citizen, doctor or prisoner, Jesus died for you. Jesus had to die for you because you've pushed God away. We've all sinned. We've all sidelined God in our lives. Isaiah 53, 6 says, We all like sheep have strayed from God. Each of us has turned to our own sinful and destructive ways and God laid on Jesus the sin of us all. Pushing God out of our lives has devastating consequences. It's like pushing the pilot out of the plane you're in and offering to drive it yourself. That'd be ridiculous and catastrophic, unless you're a pilot, of course, but none of us are God. And so pushing God out of our lives always has catastrophic consequences. Pushing away a good God invites evil. Pushing away the God who created us brings decay. Sidelining the God who gave us life brings death. And pushing away a loving and just God means a world of hatred and inequality. So we're all responsible for inequality, and that's even before we get into details about sweatshops and pornography use and the many ways that we do contribute to injustices. The cross tells us that though we're different, we're equal in God's eyes, equally loved, but also equally far from God, equally stuck in our sin. We're all in need of his sacrifice, his love, his mercy, his forgiveness. And so our cries for justice and equality are actually a cry for Jesus. So let's take a look at Jesus, the Son of God, and the difference he makes to equally valued sinners. First, Jesus is our example. Jesus spent time with the outcasts of his society, befriended the lonely, and lifted up the downtrodden. The account of Jesus and Zacchaeus is one of many examples of this. Zacchaeus was, he was the town rat, a chief tax collector, immoral and corrupt. He was a local Jewish man who collected money from his own people for the enemy, for the Romans. We know from verse 7 that like most tax collectors, he was loathed as a sinner. And from verse 8, that he collected more than he should have, that he'd spend his days cheating others, even the poor. So he was a despised and lonely rich man. And what is shocking in this story is that Jesus happily invites himself over for a meal at his house. He befriends the lonely. But what makes Jesus different from, say, Mother Teresa, who spent herself on behalf of the poor in India, or Martin Luther King, who fought to end institutionalized racial discrimination in America. And there's been many people like them. What makes Jesus different? Well, our cry for Jesus isn't just a cry for an example or a better example, which Jesus is, but 
It's a cry for someone who can bring God back into our lives, who can solve the issue of inequality at the source, who can forgive and bring reconciliation. For Christians, Jesus is more than just an example. He is our life. We believe that like Zacchaeus, we're forgiven sinners. That profoundly changed how Zacchaeus lived. He immediately saw things very differently. And so he declared, here and now, I give half my possessions to the poor and pay back four times the amount anybody I have cheated. Jesus died so that I could have life. He lowered himself so that I could be lifted up. I've experienced his love firsthand and his love profoundly shapes who I am. And like Zacchaeus, his love changes the way I live my life. 1 John 3.16 says, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And in Jesus' many many dealings and encounters with those who are on the margins of his society, Jesus gave us a beautiful glimpse of the future we all want to be a part of, a future where all men and women and children are treated equally, a future where multitudes from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language stand on equal ground, whose differences aren't squashed, but celebrated and valued. And Jesus has secured that future through his death and resurrection. For Christians, Jesus is our future. Jesus did what no other hero has done or can do. He has secured for forgiven sinners access to a life beyond the grave, an eternity with God, where a great multitude from every nation, tribe, people and language will stand equally, will shelter in God's presence, never again to hunger or thirst and have every tear wiped from their eyes. And this means that whether you're rich or poor, male or female, Greek or Ghanaian, an astrophysicist or a postie, you need to come to Jesus in order to be included in this beautiful, wonderful, equal future. So if Jesus makes such a difference for Christians, for everyone who puts their trust in him, why don't we see this reflected in his followers? Where's the difference? Well, Natasha Moore, a research fellow at the Centre for Public Christianity in Sydney, says, Christians have tortured heretics, burned witches, hoarded wealth, propped up slavery, rubber-stamped colonialism, expelled or massacred entire Jewish communities, silenced women, persecuted gay people, and moved known child molesters from parish to parish. These are not accusation, they are history. So where's the difference that Jesus makes in his followers? Well, it's true, we have to admit, 
the church has failed too many times and in gross ways to live up to Jesus. And I guess that's to be expected in one sense. It's not an excuse, but we're not perfect. We're not Jesus. We're still sinful. I'm still sinful. Christians are still susceptible to abusing power, making selfish decisions, and turning a blind eye to injustices. But God and Jesus strongly condemn those things. It's bad. It's really bad. And we should be ashamed and sorry when we act like this. And we should be doing our best to learn from past failings, to be critical of ourselves now, and to seek to do right today. But this is really not the whole story. In fact, the prevailing story is that Christians have done so much good and have shaped so many of the values that people today would claim are just natural or or common sense that we just take for granted, maybe. You know, the biggest charities are either overtly Christian or were started by Christians. It's a fact. And virtues such as humility, dignity, rights, and love, according to historians, even secular historians, have a clear origin and start date in history. And those are Jesus and his teachings and the church. When, as Natasha Moore goes on to say, those who claim to follow Jesus have played in tune with him. That has been of great and unique benefit to the world. Tom Holland, British writer and historian, not a Christian, said that much to his own surprise, he has to concede and strongly believes from the research that from history that he is very much a product of Christianity. Jesus and his followers have at many times made a huge difference to the injustices and inequalities around them. And let's be honest, today there is no shortage of people who we should be befriending, speaking up for, defending and giving generously to. The Bible tells us over and over again to value others above ourselves, to look to the interests of others. And so at this moment, Right now, in history, to Christians, black lives do matter more. There is an imbalance, and whenever there's an imbalance, whenever people are treated less, who are kind of lowered for whatever reason, that imbalance needs to be addressed. Our indigenous neighbours are being discriminated against, and there's inequality and for Christians, restoring that, fighting for that, is, is just ingrained in who we are, in our beliefs. The idea that at specific times and places, someone's life matters more, is thoroughly biblical. I mean, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Because we were stuck in, when we were stuck in our sin, Our lives mattered more to Jesus. Jesus gave up his life to save us. 
So right now, refugees, children in foster care, the poor, the homeless, those in prison, anyone who is discriminated against is in need of friendship, community, clothing, money, anyone who is doing it tough matters more and are worthy of our attention, our care, our time, our money, our love, our sacrifices. In urging God's people to give generously to the poor among them, Paul says, Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. So until there is equality, while we find ourselves in a privileged position, we must act. The fact that we're made in God's image demands it. The cross demands it. Jesus' example demands it. His love, his mercy, his forgiveness demands it. Our restored and reconciled relationship with God demands it. And the future Jesus has secured for us demands it.